0: If you have your Bibles, I want you to take them to the Old Testament book of Genesis. Genesis chapter number 37. And this morning, I'd like to share with you a lesson that I cannot tell you how many times God has used in my life when I encountered the perplexities, the things in life that I just cannot understand. The heartaches, the disappointments, the things in life the twists and turns that make absolutely no sense, that cause me to question God, why? Why would such a thing happen? I want to look this morning at lessons from a bloody coat. At lessons from a bloody coat. Genesis chapter 37, we'll look at verse number 28. Genesis 37 and 28. Now before I drop you in, let me give you some background. In this story, we're going to be looking at the life of Jacob and his son Joseph. And up to this point, Joseph has been shown much favoritism by Jacob. He is, the, he is the eldest son of his beloved Rachel. And so he's the one that got the coat of many colors. How many of you know the story, how that Jacob gave Joseph the coat of many colors and how it made all of his brothers angry and upset and jealous of him? And so these brothers took Joseph and they held him hostage and that's where we pick up in verse reading in verse number 28 Genesis 37 and verse number 28 Then Midianite traders passed by and they drew Joseph up and lifted him up out of the pit and sold him to the Ishmaelites for four, for 20 shekels of silver and they took Joseph to Egypt and when Reuben returned to the pit and saw that Joseph was not in the pit, he tore his clothes and returned to his brothers and said, The boy is gone, and I, where shall I go? And they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified it and said, this is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. And all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and he said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. Meanwhile, the Midianites had sold him, talking about Joseph, in Egypt to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the guard. When I was a kid and watching the old... Uh, uh, Cable television, oftentimes I would flip through the channels and land on PBS. Now, PBS had nothing uh, to grab my attention really. I uh, didn't like its programming. But every now and then, when I would flip through, I would find, and stop for a second, I would find this fuzzy-haired guy by the name of Bob Ross on a show called The Joy of Painting. How many of you know who I'm talking about, Bob Ross? You know, how that he would take a, he would gracefully and effortlessly take a, a blank canvas and produce these beautiful seaside or, or mountainscape scenes. And all the while, he would be talking like a kindergartner teacher, you know, and saying, oh, look at this happy little cloud floating along, uh, just you know, uh, yes, there it is. You know how he would talk uh, as he painted. Well, I would stop for a second, mesmerized by his, not only his speaking, but how he effortlessly painted on that canvas. And then inevitably, something would happen. Bob Ross would take that little, you know, that little sharp blade. You know, and he would he would mix together all these dark browns and deep blue colors. And all of a sudden, he'd scoop up a bunch of that dark paint, and he would plop it on that screen, on that uh, on that canvas right in the middle, and put this ugly dark blob right in the middle of the painting. And I would think to myself, Bob, you have done it. You have taken a beautiful painting and absolutely ruined it by this dark blob in the middle of the painting. But, you know, that's not the end of the story. How Bob Ross would do it, he would take his paintbrush and he would also take these accent colors and he would use that fan brush, you know, the one that's fanned out really thin and he would put light tones in it and he would begin to to streak out and to, to paint highlights on that dark blob and he would elongate it and bring branches off of it and he would eventually, as he could progress, that dark blob became a beautiful rock formation or an old swamp log right there in the middle of the painting. And by the end of the hour, that blob that was so ugly that I thought ruined the painting was actually my favorite part of the whole design. It made the composition. It made the painting. It drew your eyes in to to see the expertise of the artist. Here in our text, Jacob has received the news that his beloved son Joseph has apparently, from what he can tell, been killed. And using our opening illustration with Bob Ross, it seems like God, the master painter, has just plopped a dark blob over the life of Jacob in heartache and in pain. And it it came in the form of a bloody coat. We read about it. How that that the sons, unbeknownst to the father, had killed an animal. And had dipped the coat in blood, no doubt they they ripped it and tore it as though claws had had come in contact with it, and they, they dipped it in that blood and and then they uncaringly remember it was a coat of many colors. There was no doubt of whose coat it was. it was Joseph's coat, and they he say, "Hey, do you know the owner of this, indifferent to uh, their their brother joseph and and Jacob recognized it immediately and and saw. Uh, that it was it was uh, something that his son wore and and he jumped to the conclusion that his son was dead now here 's my starting application. You may have never had someone knock on your door and hand you the blood soaked garments of a beloved son or daughter, but I am sure that at one time or another you've been handed. A bloody coat. Now it may have come in the form of illness. It may have come in the death of a loved one or a financial disaster or a job loss. But one way or the other, either we all have or we all will have had handed to us a bloody coat of sorts. It will fall on every one of the doorsteps of our lives. But every child of God, if you're here today and you're saved by God's grace, you know Jesus Christ in saving faith, you can have confidence when the bloody coats arrive in a master painter who is causing all things to work together for the good of them that love God and are called according to His purpose. And so as we look at this story, and I'm going to scan several chapters here in, in this scene and show you the life of Jacob and the, and the path of Joseph to teach this lesson of a bloody coat. I want us to see three principles that are glaringly obvious as we see this scene play out number 1 i want you to see first of all a deficient perspective a deficient perspective you know home estate planners and often tell people uh, that they ought to plan out the details and the the funeral arrangements uh, or or the or the financial arrangements or the medical arrangements of their life of a, for a, a future day, they should plan them out early. Because when the point of need comes, when the crisis comes, oftentimes people's perspective is distorted or deficient. When, when crisis comes, oftentimes we're not, we're not seeing clearly. We're not uh, seeing life in, in, the, in its proper perspective. And so that is exactly what we find Jacob doing in this passage of Scripture. So I want us to notice, first of all, a, an impaired conclusion. Look with me at verse number 33. And he identified it, talking about Jacob, and said, it is my son's robe, a fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph, notice this phrase, Joseph is without doubt torn to pieces. Notice. Joseph, there's no doubt about it, Joseph has been devoured by an animal, rent in pieces. You know, by drawing his conclusions from what he sees and what he feels and what is presented in front of him, Jacob is completely convinced that Joseph has been eaten by a wild animal. Now, here's the thing is that they didn't have a CSI team there to tell him that that blood on that garment wasn't really human blood, it was animal blood. I remember watching that old show CSI. And man, I loved it. all the DNA and, the, and the everything, that, the forensics that would go in detective work and, and how there would be this surprise scene that oh, it's not human blood, it's animal blood. Or it's not human hair, it's animal hair. You know, it's, it's that big turning point, that dramatic scene. In the the case, well, they didn't have CSI. They didn't have the microscope to be able to tell that this was not uh, human blood, but animal blood. You see, the facts surrounding Joseph are submerged. They're unclear. The truth of the matter is, while Jacob laments the death of his son Joseph, Joseph's heart is beating just fine. He's not in the belly of some kind of lion. No, his heart is probably beating a lot faster than normal as he's being held in chains and going down to a strange land and being sold in Potiphar's house at that very moment. Listen, when presented with a bloody coat, and what I'm talking about are those adversities, those problems, those situations that take us by surprise, those, uh, those uh, situations that cause us heartache and pain and, 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 and worry, when we encounter those, it is natural to grieve, to sorrow, to be confused, even to be angry about the situation. It's natural for us to see the absolute worst in a situation. But here's, my, here's the key. Never lose sight. That there is a God in heaven whose perspective on the situation is a whole lot clearer than yours. That's what Jacob ruled out. He went so far says, I'm going to go to the grave the rest of my days sorrowing over the loss of my son. He completely disqualified or put God out of the equation. Uh, Tom T. Hall. He is a country music artist and wrote a song. You probably heard it, Me and Jesus. You ever heard that song, Me and Jesus, Got Our Own Thing Going? You ever heard that song? Uh, Tom T. Hall was asked, well, how did you come up with that song? And he said, well, it comes from my mama. He said, when I was a kid, when, when they were confronted with a problem or a need or a difficulty, or when people, would, as the children, would ask mama, mama, what are we going to do? He, she would always smile and say, Me and Jesus can handle this problem. I don't necessarily agree with that song, but I do agree with that premise. Mamas have a way of saying, me and Jesus can handle any problem. You see, that's what Jacob didn't do. He didn't include God in his equation of what took place. He sidelined. He put God out of this equation. He completely disqualified that there may be more going on than what we can see. There is a Savior in heaven that sees far beyond our finite perspective. You can't see the whole picture. Notice, second of all, not only an impaired conclusion, but also an impulsive consequence. Look at verse number 35 of our text. And all his sons and daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted, and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. When our faulty perspective takes a hold, we we can and we will draw faulty conclusions That will have painful consequences. When we fail to even acknowledge the fact that there may be more going on in this moment than meets the eye, we make rash decisions and regrettable choices. Joseph is running far to conclusions. You know, we don't see Joseph, I mean, Jacob, we don't see Jacob building an altar and going to God and saying, God, why God help God intervene what's going on we don't see him crying out to God we see him doing a lot of spiritual navel gazing Have you ever you ever done spiritual navel gazing? Why in the world are things this way? All the time you're just looking at your navel. And everything's inward. And I feel so bad. And, and it's hurts so bad. I get it. I know it. We're human. Things hurt. Things don't make sense a lot of times. But here we find Jacob looking inward. I'm just going to grieve all the rest of my life instead of looking upward to a God in heaven. Dr. R.A. Torrey was a founder of the Bible Institute of Los Angeles. He was, a, he was a, great, a, a, a great preacher, teacher. God used him in great ways in the early 20th century. And, but his, he lost his 12-year-old daughter in an accident. And the funeral was, was held on a rainy day and they stood beside the... Uh, that, that plot where they had dug the hole to put the small body of their daughter down into that grave. And as they stood there, Miss Torrey, through, through uh, uh, tear-soaked eyes, said, I'm so glad that Elizabeth is not in that box. They were both grieving uncontrollably. Their grief went home with them that night as they tried to sleep. Dr. Torrey got up in the morning and went for an early morning walk As he walked, a wave of grief broke over him afresh and anew. The loneliness of her absence, the terrible feeling, knowing that they would never hear her laughter again, never see her face, never witness her growth just overwhelmed them. He couldn't take it anymore. And as he he walked along, he, he leaned up against the street light, and from there he looked up and began to pray. This was his experience. Listen to what he wrote. And just then, the fountain of the Holy Spirit, whom I had in my heart, broke forth with such power as I had never experienced before. It was the most joyful moment I had ever known in my life. It was an unspeakably glorious thing. It is an unspeakably glorious thing to have within you a fountain ever springing up, springing up, ever springing up, 365 days in every year springing up under all circumstances. Do you see what the difference is? Jacob is looking down. I will never have joy again. I will always sorrow until the end of my days. R.A. Tori leaned on a post and lifted his eyes to heaven. He don't know why his daughter died. He don't have the answers to that. He don't know why this situation has come into his life. But God responded. He looked to him in his guidance and help. Tory could have easily, like many others, blamed God, wrote God off for the rest of his life. If, how many of you have ever known someone, if God loved me, if he cared about me, he would not have taken my blank, mother, father, daughter, son. If God truly loved me and cared about me, he would not have let this happen to me in my childhood and fill in the blank with all the gross and terrible details you could possibly imagine in that situation. And they would write God off completely, throw up their hands. R.A. Torrey could have thrown up his hands and left a fruitful gospel ministry. But he looked to God even when he didn't understand, and God responded in grace. I'm not saying that as we read, you know, we, we come to the Scriptures from From the point of view of God. We read this and we know what's happening later on in the future chapters. We know the arc of the story. We know the twists and turns. But I want you to understand when we we come into life, you know as well as I do, we don't see that. We don't know what God is doing. But I do know this, that He is trustworthy. (laughs) That we can reach to Him and hold that unseen hand to guide us in life. Even when we can't see what God is doing, and we are impulsive in our conclusions, God is still there to comfort His people. But before you completely resign your situation to a complete loss, never forget that you may not be seeing the whole picture. And that's what I want to leave you with. That's why in this first point, when you encounter the bloody coat, when it comes into your hands, Don't write God off. You can't see everything. You don't know everything that's going on. Always take hope and heart in God. Second of all, not only a deficient perspective, you can't see everything. God can, but we can't see it. Also, a disguised purpose. A disguised purpose. When the brushstrokes of God, uh, uh, when it comes to the brushstrokes of God, nothing is as it seems in the mind of the sovereign painter the unavoidable and awkward blob of paint in your life and mind is necessary for the completion of his masterful plan and purposes for our lives we may not see his purposes but we can faithfully but we can faithfully know that they are there notice first of all the design of placement the design of placement You know, as we look at the book of Genesis, let's go go to chapter number 41. Chapter number 41, a few chapters later in this story, in the arc of the narrative and what has taken place. Chapter 41 and verse 41. 41 and verse 41. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt, and then Pharaoh, took, uh, then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. Now, the last time we saw Joseph was when? He was sold as a slave. But now in chapter 41, a few chapters later, Pharaoh himself is putting his signet ring The ring of authority on Joseph's hand. What in the world has happened? Well, you know. You know something of the story of Joseph. Have you read the life of Joseph? Uh, Joseph was sold into slavery at Potiphar's house. And at Potiphar's house... He began to rise up as a trustworthy and good servant. One who had his master's best intentions in mind. And then what happened? Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him and he fled from her at keeping his virtue. And what happened? She lied upon him. Said that he had attacked her sexually. And so he was thrown into prison. Do you know the story? How that in prison he run into the baker and the butler in the, in the prison and the dream interpretation there. And how that... Joseph was forgotten in the prison and left there to rot till finally Pharaoh had a dream. Do you know the story? Pharaoh had a dream and uh, uh, the butler finally remembered, oh yeah, there's a guy in prison that can interpret dreams. Pharaoh calls Joseph and Joseph faithfully interprets the dreams and because of that, Pharaoh puts the ring on on Joseph. It had been a long and winding road from Potiphar's house to his incarceration in prison to being the sovereign in Pharaoh's house. A course so difficult and treacherous that only God could have devised such a plan. That bloody coat, however, however awful that it was for Jacob, was the starting point of the perfect, will of God notice this how in the world did Joseph get to be the second in command of all of Egypt's land by a bloody coat it started with a bloody coat it has its had its twists and turns started with a bloody coat it was the catalyst of a chain of events that would fulfill the promises of God to Joseph. Do you remember God's promises to Joseph? How he had a dream that the sun and the moon and the stars would fall before him and bow down to him? Meaning Jacob and his... And his mother Rachel and all his brothers would bow down to him. That was a promise from God to Joseph. And that would come true in the life of Joseph by this means. Promises that one day the nations would bow down to him. Listen, never underestimate the ability of God to take a bloody coat and turn it into a kingly robe. God can take the most worst things that have happened into our lives and turn them into the best things that have ever happened to us. In his book, uh, Providence of God, R.C. Sproul points out how all human and divine history was changed by the simple gesture of Jacob giving to Joseph that multicolored coat. He, goes, he points out that if there had never been a coat, there would have never been so much envy and jealousy among the brothers. If there had not been that jealousy, therefore there would have been no selling of Joseph to the Midianite traders then there would have been no journey to Egypt, no Potiphar, no Potiphar's wife, no prison, no meaning of the cupbearer and the baker, no meeting with Pharaoh, and Joseph would never become the prime minister of Egypt. If Joseph had never become the prime minister of Egypt, the Jews would have never settled in the land of Goshen. They would have never been in imprisonment of the tribes of Israel in Egypt's land. There would have never been a Moses, never been an Exodus within an Exodus. There would have never been a law given at Mount Sinai, no subsequent history of redemption, um, no unfolding of the history of Jesus Christ as we know it. And we could go on and on and on, even to the Middle East today, in this hour, has everything to do with this bloody coat, with this coat that was given to Joseph and subsequently blood stained and given back to Jacob. Bloody coats of our lives are sometimes the arrangement of the pl- and the placement of the pieces of God's purposes in our life. Uh, I remember years ago, one of the most influential Bible studies that I have ever had in my life, in the early days of my life, was the Experiencing God series. I don't know if you've ever, ever had Experiencing God series. It had such a great impact on my life. But one of the things Henry Blackaby says over and over again is that when we come to these crossroads in life, when we come to these burning bush moments, when we come to those bloody coats in life, the best thing we could do is step back and ask God, what are you doing? Because God's doing something in your life and my life. The best thing we can do is have a heart to say, God, tell me, show me What you are doing. Not only do we see the design of placement, but we see the deliverance from peril. Go into verse chapter 41 and look at verse number 54. We'll go to 53. and seven years of plenty that occurred in the land of Egypt came to an end, and the seven years of famine began to come. And jo- as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was bread. And when all the land of Egypt was famished, the people cried to Pharaoh for bread, and Pharaoh said to all the Egyptians, "Go to Joseph what he says to do, what he says to you, do." So here we see that God has arranged it where Joseph would interpret the dream. He would cause the land of Egypt to prepare in the seven years of plenty for the seven years of famine. Even as godly and favored men as Jacob and Joseph were, they were unable to see the purposes of God. Only God could have seen the danger on the horizon for His chosen people. Only He could see the seven years of famine that would wipe out the the, the sons of Jacob and the promise of Abraham. And so only He could see the danger of their future starvation. What if there would have never been a bloody coat? Such a painful experience. What if God said, I don't want Jacob to go through such a painful thing. I think I'm just going to take away that bloody coat from Jacob and and, uh, I'm just not going to lay that on him. That's too painful. That's too hurtful. What would have happened? Well, Jacob would have never experienced the sorrow of losing his son. He would have enjoyed several years of of companionship with his son, his favorite son, Joseph. But for how long? Until Joseph died of starvation in his arms. Sometimes a bloody coat is the only route to safety, to preservation. It was under the terrible persecution of Acts chapter number 8 that the gospel began to spread throughout the known world. It was only through the bloody scenes of Calvary do we come from the, to the glory of the triumphant tomb. I remember Tony Evans saying years ago, Tony Evans one of my favorite preachers, and, and Tony Evans says, you can't have Easter morning without having a good Friday. Everybody loves Easter morning, but they don't want to go through a good Friday. I know you don't want bad things to happen to you. I know you don't want bloody coats or big black blobs pasted onto your canvas of your life. But the reality is to see God as we've never seen Him before, to be on the other side of safety, sometimes the bloody coats are necessary. Sometimes they're the only way to get us to where we're supposed to be. Sometime back, me and my wife were talking about what phrases the kids will remember us saying. You know, I, I, I have things, like my, one of my dad's favorite phrases, well, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, what's your do? That's my dad's favorite phrase. He says it all, what's your do? And I, that's one of his favorite phrases. All of us, you, you ask Grayson what, what his papa's favorite phrase is, he'll tell you exactly that. But me and Karen were talking about what would our kids remember us for? And mine, mine without a doubt, mine is this. You can't make an omelet without breaking a few eggs. Have you ever heard that before? I use that all the time. i got to make a mess of something before I can make it right. And, 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 and that's the situation. Listen, sometimes God's got to break a few things in order to accomplish His perfect plan and purpose. God's purposes are not always clear. But even when we cannot see what He's doing, we can grasp tightly His trustworthy hands. When we navigate the dark paths of our life, we can hold God's hand confidently that He has our best interest in mind. That He has our safety and our our sure arrival into His presence in mind. Yeah, we have a deficient perspective. That's one of the principles to take from this. We cannot see all that God is doing. Number two, God's purposes are oftentimes disguised. We don't see them clearly. But know this, there are purposes. We're not just floating through a a world, a universe of chance, like a pinball banging off things in in time and space. No, God has a plan, a purpose. Things are coming to a point in our lives, in the life of world history, in everything that's going on. We can see that He has a purpose. Thirdly and lastly, a divine providence. The pathway of a bloody code is oftentimes the pathway of God's provision. You know, this was a long path. I estimated in going back through the book and these chapters that close to 22 years has gone by since Joseph was sold into slavery and come to the point where things are being worked out. Where, where Egypt has all of the seven years of plenty, and now they're going into the seven years of famine. And all the while, in that 22 years, God has providentially been working behind the scenes, like He says in Ephesians 1.11, working all things according to the counsel of His own will. Notice, an essential surviving. Go to chapter number 45. Genesis chapter number 45 And look with me at verse number 4. So Joseph said to his brothers, come near to me please. And they came near and he said, I am your brother Joseph whom you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed or angry with yourselves because you sold me here. For God sent me before you to preserve life. For the famine has been in the land these two years, and there are yet five years in which there will neither uh, there will be neither plowing nor harvest and God sent me before you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and so and to keep alive for you uh, uh, many survivors, and so it was not. You that sent me here, but God, He has made me a father to Pharaoh and the and the Lord of all His house, ruler over all the land of Egypt. Hurry, go to my father and say to him, "Thus says your son Joseph: God has sent me. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me. Do not tarry." and you shall dwell in the land of Goshen, and you shall be near me, and you and your children, and your children's children, and your flocks, and your herds, and all that you have. And there I will provide for you, for there are yet five years of famine to come, so that you and your household, you and your household, and all that you have, do not come to poverty. God placed this thought-to-be-dead son in the right place, at the right time, for the right purpose. Recommended to the king for his dream interpretation, he informed the king of the coming years of plenty and famine. The king immediately placed Joseph in control over all the operations in Egypt's land. Stockpiling food for the coming as famine of seven years. Joseph was second only to Pharaoh and God had placed him in such a position so as to preserve his family from certain death. Could it be that the only thing that stands between you and certain defeat is a disappointing, bloody coat? Could it be That the only thing that is keeping you in this race in life that is preventing the onslaught of Satan is that bloody coat that you so despise. That you're so angry at God about for sending into your life. Could it be that God is molding and shaping you through that bloody coat? Amy Carmichael is one of my favorite characters in missionary history. She was a, a girl that as a young girl uh, began a ministry of teaching after she was bo- born again, saved, she began to teach small poverty stricken girls that worked in factories in England uh, the gospel and she grew that ministry unbelievably well Amy Carmichael eventually became a missionary to India and she had a special ministry there you see in India particularly at that time, maybe even today, when a daughter was born in preference to a son. If they had no son and a daughter was born, that daughter would be given to the local Hindu temple in which that daughter would become basically a, a slave, a concubine, a, a, a just a terribly abused girl. And so... Uh, Amy Carmichael was revolted by this and so she started a ministry of intercepting these girls and and taking them and adopting them and, and teaching them of Jesus Christ and before long she became the Amma, she was known as Amma or mother to all of these girls and Amy Carmichael had a wonderful ministry in India but... And she was there for 56 years as a missionary, never going back home on furlough to England, but remaining in India for 56 years. Uh, she, uh, during her last 20 years, she was bedridden because of an accident that impacted her legs and was unable, um, unable to walk. But in that last 20 years of her life, she wrote some 40 books And God used her experience of suffering to bring encouragement to millions of people. It was this understanding of God's ability to fulfill the promise of Romans 8.28. You know Romans 8.28. All things work together for the good of them that love God, called according to His purpose. She wrote about that verse. Amy Carmichael wrote this, and I love this statement. Listen closely. A wise master never wastes his servant's time. A wise master never wastes his servant's time. No matter what set of circumstances we receive, God will not waste our experiences. That pain that you have gone through, that difficulty, that heartache, that financial disaster that you struggle through daily. I want you to understand something. God is not some maniacal scientist playing with rats down here, poking at us with probes to see what we will do. No! He has a purpose. He's not wasting your wounds or or wasting the sorrow that goes through your lives. He is using them for His purposes. He will use them to conform us, to mold us and shape us into the image of His dear Son, the Lord Jesus. And at the same time, He will accomplish the end result that is best for us. Joseph would later tell his brothers, and it's basically called the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Listen to what Joseph said to his brothers. And we gathered this from what we read a moment ago, but Joseph really sums it up. He says this, As for you, meaning the the other brothers, as for you, you meant it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. Satan may mean it for evil in your life, but God can use it for good. He does, as the psalmist said, He does all things well. An essential surviving also... An experience of reviving. Look at chapter 45 and verse number 24. We skip down further. Joseph has revealed himself to his brothers. They have gone down and back to their father, bringing all kinds of of wagon loads of supplies with them. Pick up reading in 45 verse 24. And he sent his brothers away as they departed. And he said unto them, do not quarrel on the way. And so they went up out of Egypt and came to the land of Canaan Canaan to their father Jacob and they told him Joseph is still alive and he is ruler over all the land of Egypt. And he, And his heart became numb for he did not believe them. But when, he, when they told him all the words of Joseph which he had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph sent to carry him, the spirit of their father Jacob revived, and Israel said, It is enough, my son... Uh, Joseph, my son, is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. Look at verse number 46 go, as we continue on. And so Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to God, uh, to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night, saying, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here, am I, here I am. And then he said, I am God, the God of your father, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again, and Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. God is saying to Joseph, I have had everything under control." What news? What news? The word revive here that is used is a word that means to come alive again. This man that had resolved to mourn all the days of his life that that until the day that he died had a reviving that he had never anticipated. He saw the wagon loads of God's grace. And in chapter 46, he was renewed with the promise. God had already told him, I'll never leave you. I'm going with you, Jacob. God renewed that promise. I am with you, Jacob, when you go down to Egypt's land and I will never leave you alone. There is a story that comes from Europe about a great cathedral whose prized stained glass window was shattered during a horrific winter storm. The caretaker of the cathedral took all the broken pieces of the the beautiful window, stored them in a large wooden box in the cathedral's crypt. Two years later, a famed artisan passing through the area heard about the accident, and saw the boarded-up window in the cathedral. He inquired about the, the pieces and was given the box from storage. And this artisan worked in secret, and he skillfully reset every bit of the colored glass into a design of his own choice. On Easter Sunday, the window was unveiled. It was an image of the glorified Savior, far more stunning and beautiful than the original window had ever been. I tell you, God can take the broken pieces of our bloody coats and make them into something in which we will glorify God. In which we'll bring reviving to our hearts. Listen, jo- Jacob here, we find him turning to God on the other end of this bloody coat, and seeing how God seeing God in only a way that he had never seen him before. God can turn our bloody coats around and make them into a revival of joy in our hearts and the declaration of God's faithfulness to His Word. God keeps His promises. He promises every one of us that He will work things out in our life to to His glory and our good. And here we see this being played out across the stage of the book of Genesis. And it was February the 15th, 1947. An Avianca airline flight bound to Quito, Ecuador crashed into a 14,000 foot high towering peak of El Tablazo and then it dropped in a flaming mass of metal into a ravine far below. None of the passengers or the crew of the DC-4 ever knew what hit them. They all died instantaneously. One of the passengers on this plane was a man by the name of Glenn Chambers from New York. He was on his way uh, to be a missionary in Ecuador. But before leaving the Miami airport earlier that day, Chambers hurriedly wrote a note to his mother on a piece of paper he found on the floor of the terminal. That scrap of piece of paper was an advertisement with the single word, Why? scrawled across the center of the page. But between the mailing of the note and its delivery, Chambers was killed in the, in the airplane crash. When the letter did arrive to the mother, there staring up at her was the haunting question, Why? Why? When we encounter the bloody coats of life, there is no question so tormenting than why. When a loved one dies tragically, why? When a doctor's diagnosis is leukemia or cancer, why? When a job is lost, why? When a child is handicapped, why? When an accident occurs, when suicide strikes, these are all bloody coats that cause us to ask the question why. And I will admit, as your pastor, as someone that will walk with you through these bloody codes, I don't have all the answers. I don't have the reasons why. But I believe the note that Glenn Chambers wrote to his mother on the back of this advertisement may give us some help. On one side was the advertisement with the word why. On the back side was the words of Glenn Chambers. Listen to what he said. God is too kind to do anything cruel, too wise to make a mistake, and too deep to explain Himself. Listen, there's always a reason for the bloody coats in life. And I'm convinced by God's Word, from the example we see in the Old Testament to the promises we see in the New Testament, God will work it to our good and His glory. No matter how terrible the bloody coat is. For our final thought, to kind of sum everything up, I want to use the words of a 19th century pastor and author by the name of A.T. Pearson. Listen to what he says. A.T. Pearson writes in our closing thought here, It is in the deepest, darkest of the starless night that men learn to hold on to the hidden hand most tightly and how that hand holds them. That He sees where we do not and knows the way He takes. And though the way be to us a roundabout way, it is the right way. We can hold His hand. We may not be able to explain it. I may not be able to explain it. The tragedies in life, the unthinkable horrors that have happened to all of us, we can trust God with them and know that He can take that bloody coat and turn it into a kingly robe. He can do what only He can do. God, listen, no. Listen, when you encounter the bloody coats in life, step back. God, you're doing something. Help me to understand. It. God, help me to see what you're doing. God, help me to trust you as I go through this bloody coat scene in my life. Let's all stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed. Our eyes are closed. No one looking around this morning. You know, bloody coats in life do not only happen to believers in the the people of the spiritual descendancy of Abraham, but they also happen to lost sinners. Bloody coats happen to lost sinners, and those bloody coats oftentimes cause them to write God off. If there was a God, this would not have happened to me. I'm telling you, you're making a bad decision. Bloody coats are there to draw us to Him, not repel us. Don't write God off because you've experienced horrors in your life. God is not the author of sin. Listen, we live in a sin-cursed world. A world plagued by sin and the fall of man. These things will happen. But God will get the ultimate glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. If you're here this morning and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I invite you to come and know Him in saving faith. Repent and believe the Gospel. Come and trust Him as Savior. Maybe you're here this morning. And to be honest, the bloody coat, you have borne it. You have sorrowed over it. You have wondered about it. Why don't you come and, and lay that bloody coat down to God and say, God, help me to understand what you're doing. You, you move as God's spoken to you this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for the Lord Jesus. Father, I pray you would give us understanding as we, as we come into these bloody coats. But even if we da- cannot understand... Father, I pray you would help us by your grace, enable us to trust you, to hold your hand in the darkest hour and know that you are leading us on the right path. God, help us to trust you. Father, we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen and amen. Our our invitation, here's your opportunity to respond. "'Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus." You respond as as God leads. Go ahead, Brother Roger. 137. 137 in your hymnal... Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus.